Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Hey, everybody. Today on The Charlie Kirk Show, an incredible conversation with a black conservative former police officer friend of mine, Brandon Tatum. He has gone viral recently. He's a friend of mine. He's incredible. He loves his country, and he dispels the lies of BLM, 1619 Project, and is America a racist country? Brandon Tatum is a true American patriot. Email me your questions, freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. If you want to get involved with Turning Point USA, go to tpusa.com, tpusa.com. Email us your questions, freedom at charliekirk.com. Type in Charlie Kirk Show to your podcast provider right now. Hit that beautiful subscribe button. Give us those five-star reviews, leave a review, screenshot yourself doing it, and email us freedom at charliekirk.com to win a signed copy of the MAGA Doctrine. Please also consider becoming a monthly supporter or a supporter of the Charlie Kirk Show at charliekirk.com slash support. That is charliekirk.com slash support to chip in some money so that we can remain safe, secure, and prosperous as a show from leftist boycotts. When you go to charliekirk.com slash support, you are paying our production fees. You are paying to allow us to do 12 to 14 episodes a week and honestly 16 to 17 hours of content a week at charliekirk.com slash support. Brandon Tatum, right here. Buckle up. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this special episode of The Charlie Kirk Show. I am joined by a friend of mine. Brandon Tatum, known as Officer Tatum, he has just exploded in the last couple months. I think just the last six weeks. Yes, yes. Brandon has done some fun stuff with us at Turning Point USA. We've gone to college campuses together. We have done all sorts of things. But Brandon is a former police officer uh, from here in Arizona, played at University of Arizona uh, football. And Brandon has been one of the most courageous, clear voices in the last few weeks. I just want to say, Brandon... You deserve a lot of credit because you, you, have, you have really gone out and said this is what is right and what is true in the world and this is what is not, especially with since the killing of George Floyd. So I just want to thank you from, on behalf of the conservative movement and our, honestly on behalf of our country. I appreciate that. I appreciate it, man. I mean, you go out every day. You're much younger than me, and you're uh, leading by example, man. I mean, your courage and stuff, is it radiates. So, well, you know, I, I get a lot of my courage from people like you. Well, so let's, let's take a little step back. Uh, the murder of George Floyd. Right. Both of us said that the police officer acted incorrectly. 
we both, I think it was total agreement. Everyone said this was something yeah. that. Everybody in the world. Everybody in the world. Have you ever found anyone that, <laughs> that disagreed? No, never. Never. Not one person have disagreed that the police officer did not act appropriately, which led to the death of George Floyd. Not one person I've ever met. Not even people online. I have seen nobody online. Not even trolls. Not even trolls. <laughs> you, they, may, they may criticize him after, but they are saying that the police officer was wrong. And yet as soon as that incident happened, which again, we denounced, we say it was evil, the media said we're divided. We're divided over race? And so, so now, Brandon, you got to explain this to me. We're renaming the Washington Redskins because a cop did something evil in Minneapolis. Right. How did that happen? See, man, it's a, it's a bigger agenda. It's, it has nothing to do with George Floyd. I believe it has nothing to do with George Floyd. That was their excuse to roll down this path of destroying America. Because I don't understand how uh, taxing the wealthy has anything to do with George Floyd. Defunding police all over the country has anything to do with George Floyd in Minneapolis. I mean, mind you, in 2019, Minneapolis uh, had one unarmed black person shot by police. One in the entire year. And then this situation was an unfortunate situation with, with Officer Chauvin. How in the world did that translate to just destroying America yes. and protesting every day? And you know, mind you, they have killed more African-American people in these riots and protests around the country in the name of George Floyd than the police officers have done for unarmed black people in the last two years. Yes. What have they accomplished? Well, and, and so you look at the statistics around police brutality. You were a police officer. You understand how difficult this job is, right? Yeah. And I love these white liberals that play Monday morning quarterback, right? First of all, they have let's just say a body configuration where lifting a 20-pound weight would be difficult. (laughs) And so they think they know what they would do when your adrenaline is pumping, your life is being threatened. When they're talking about the incident in Atlanta, I don't want to misspeak on the individuals, I think it's Rayshard Brooks, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Or the incident in Minneapolis, which, of course, no one um, defends. However, also, we have to understand that Derek Chauvin and George Floyd knew each other. They had a history with each other. So that's, that's an interesting contribution to the conversation where it might have been less about you know, race and maybe more about how they knew. We don't know, right? right? And so just implying that it was inherently a racist incident, I think is racist in and of itself. But these Monday morning quarterbacks that these white liberals, you know, they comment. They say, well, don't you know that the police officer should have done this? You were a police officer. Tell us how hard it is. Because you're talking about nanoseconds of a decision right. Right. that could ruin your life. Right. And, or, and, or end your life. Yeah. And what people don't understand, because they've never been exposed to this, never been through training, they've never been in, a, in, a, in the shoes of a police officer, never had the uniform on. Just, just wearing a vest every day creates this adrenaline feeling in your, in your, uh, in your body because you have to go out and protect and serve. And you know when you put that vest on that you're, you are facing life and death on a day-to-day basis. Yes. Now, when things happen, see, most people have never been in a fight. Right. That's all right. these liberals talking. They never been punched in the face. Now, there is a physical response when you get punched in the face or when you in a life and death fight for your fight for your life situation yeah. that people don't understand unless they've been there. And in the case of Rayshard Brooks, I mean, you got a guy who was peaceful. Y'all were having a conversation. And all of a sudden, without warning, he just snapped. He snaps and he didn't just snap. He's whooping their butts. He's throwing them around like rag dolls. Now, just imagine getting thrown around by this guy, wondering to yourself, what, why is he doing this? It's just a DUI. 
Why is he doing Now he's got my taser. Is he going to try to kill us? What has this guy done that has led him to this situation and all this is happening like this? Yes. And, and, and what people do is they watch the video and they say, oh, I would have done something different. You can't say that. First of all, you've never been in a physical altercation. Many years back, I happened to play athletics. I know what it's like to, to do that. You, you, you don't exactly think methodically in those right. moments, right? And our police officers in that moment, Richard Brooks, I thought they were more restrained. They were. Than, they were. And, and, and then you have these people say, well, he shouldn't have fired the weapon. Maybe, maybe not. However, it's perfectly justifiable, and you could say this, Brandon, as soon as another deadly weapon is introduced into the situation, right. to use another deadly weapon, correct? Right. I mean, think about this. Uh, people may not understand Georgia law, but in the Georgia law, the taser is a firearm. It's considered a firearm in the law, which is a deadly weapon. So if you point a deadly mm-hmm. weapon at a police officer, a police officer feels that their life is in immediate physical bodily injury or death, they can utilize deadly force. See, people conflate deadly force usage with murder, right? Mm. You have to understand this. Was the use of force appropriate? Were they justified in using force that they did? Unfortunately, it caused the death of another person because they could have shot him and he would have survived. But the use of force is the justifiable measure. Yes. Uh, people are focusing on the end result, the fact that he died. Well, yeah. And so you can finish the thought. Sorry. So the fact that he died. So people have to understand what is justifiable use of force. Um, that is easily articulated in the statute. And here's the one thing that people are not understanding about the taser. They're like, oh, it's just a taser. No, it's, it's more than a taser. See, police officers can use tasers because we're trained to use tasers and we're trained to aim them appropriately so that it'll hit your body in a place that wouldn't kill you. Um, when a suspect has a taser, which Rayshard Brooks did, he turned and pointed the taser at the officer's face. Now, he shot the taser at the officer's face. Now, if an officer gets locked up with the taser, he's going to hit the ground. It's going to render him incapable of defending himself. That level of fear necessitates a deadly force situation. But if you hit the officer in the face with one of those taser probes, they're like this. They shoot out like a, like a bullet. They go and they penetrate the skin. They go at a level of force that's used to go through shirts and clothing so it can dig in the skin and, and penetrate. If you shoot that thing in somebody's eye, it can go through the eyeball into the brain and kill you. And that's why police officers don't aim it for your head unless they're in a deadly force situation. So Rayshard Brooks 100 percent was attempting to cause serious bodily injury or death to those officers and they used force against him. And so people say, well, it's just, it, 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 people are using that as an example, including sometimes Republican senators, like a Republican senator from Indiana who's, well, the egregious and unspeakable murder. And I said, well, that's not murder. I, it's just, I mean, it was a killing, but it was an altercation, right? right? Those police officers did not wake up that day saying, I'm going to go to a Wendy's and find someone who has a DUI and kill them. In yeah. fact, you saw, if you look at the video, they struggled. They were trying to, appre- to, to calm down the situation, right? Yeah. And Rayshard Brooks was drunk as a skunk, yeah. not feeling pain, right. right? He was what, I mean, just because he was so inebriated, whatever force they were using just wasn't processing. He was a prior convicted criminal, I believe. Right, he was, against his family. Yeah, and then, his then the family goes up to the press conference, yeah. they're like, oh, we miss him so much. You, you were testifying against him previously. Well, well, see, this is another thing that people don't realize. Rayshard Brooks' wife is the one that's on television, right? He also had a girlfriend. His girlfriend is the one, and they believe, that burned down the Wendy's. She got arrested for burning down the Wendy's. Arsonist. He, he had mentioned... To the police, if you listen to the police uh, recording, he had mentioned her name as the person he was dealing with that night. So he has a wife in front of the world, and he has a girlfriend, and then he's inebriated. 
Like people, people are leaving out the guilt portion of a suspect like Rayshard Brooks. Think about this. He didn't just, osmosis didn't lead him to the parking lot. Dude, he had to intentionally drink and drive, and from the birthday party to the Wendy's parking lot, he put people's lives in danger. He was so drunk that he passes out in the intersection. And people say, oh, he should have. they should have let him just walk home. No. When a police officer contact, contacts you, you are now, they are now responsible for you moving forward, especially when you're inebriated. Because if they make contact with, with a him, vehicle, especially with a vehicle, just say they made contact with him and they took his they took his vehicle and they say, OK, just walk home. Now, if he goes home and there's another vehicle at home, he gets in another vehicle, come back to finish Wendy's and kill somebody um, while he's drinking and driving. Or he go runs over a 14 year old, runs over a 14 year old. Now, the police officer is going to be held accountable. Say he was drunk. That's a great point. It was against the law. Why didn't you do anything? But now that it results in his death, they feel like the cops should have just let him go. It's, it's shameful what people think without education. That's right. And so and you look into these examples, and let's go into it. And so I, I call the movement that I believe is a domestic terror organization very close to it, BLM Inc. 100%. I call it BLM Inc. because the phrase is true. Black lives do matter. All lives matter. And I'm not afraid to say all lives right. matter. And we should be unafraid to say exactly. it. Exactly. Right? All lives matter. But I call it BLM Inc. because I want to distinguish the two. They, time and time again, have, are silent with the slaughter of black lives in our inner cities, silent with the unspeakable tragedy of abortion, and yet they find certain, let's just say, certain deaths that fit their narrative. Yep. And the narrative is deep destabilization of law and order. And those deaths, Rayshard Brooks or George Floyd, they get overly let's just say, upset about, and the media covers for them and with them. Then we look deeper into the statistics. They say, well, this is an epidemic in our cities. <laughs> so it was interesting when I first made my first video calling out the black squares on social media, because I'll tell you, Brandon, these white liberals that I grew up with <laughs> that have been protected by police their entire life, right? And if you want to talk about some form of wealth privilege, these are those people, right? <laughs> now, not white privilege, but wealth privilege, True. right? And they have been protected by armed guards and by police officers, and they've been so comfortable. And then they're posting these black squares in total, you know, like, oh, we stand in solidarity with BLM. And I just had enough. I snapped, yeah, yeah. right? And we, I made a video, and at the time, the Washington Post said there were nine unarmed black men that were killed by police officers. They've recently updated that number to 15, yeah. just how convenient. Yeah. But even let's just take 15. You look through the examples, a lot of them are very suspicious, right? Some people say they have weapons. Some people, you know, they had a different type of weapon than just a, a firearm. Anyway, 15. You look at 15 unarmed black men. Let's just say every single one of those examples. If you look at the amount of individuals that die on black on black crime versus that, which one is a more pressing? Yeah, it's not even close. It's not even close. Yes. Black on black violence. See, this is what this is another thing that people don't understand with black on black violence as well is when one man kills another man, it don't stop there. Right. Just assuming that police actually catch the suspect, which in Chicago, 70 percent of murders go unsolved. Right. Unsolved. Um, so just assuming that the police officer by chance catch the suspect. Now you have a suspect in prison for the rest of his life. The man he killed is dead. His life is gone. And then just imagine a residual effect that's going to have on a, that that's going to have on a community um, when it comes to two black families that are opposed to each other. Because this man killed my dad. No, the other side is saying this man sent my dad to prison for life. My dad was just defending himself. Now you have not only two black men that have killed each other, or pretty much. You have the families who are now at odds and all their friends, all their friends, and now yeah. the community. 
is now in a hateful situation against each other. And now you get rival gangs, you get retaliation. That's a really good way to explain it. All of that is is matriculated down from one incident. Now, multiply that by 6,000 homicides a year or so. I mean, you're talking about a demise of an entire community. Yes. And so just in Chicago, let's just – and BLM Inc. is silent on this. Just in July, there have been 48 people shot and killed. So you look at those little examples. That's 48 families, 48 communities, 220 people shot and wounded – 268 total shot and 56 total homicides just in the last two weeks in Chicago. Just in this year, 2020, 396 homicides, 1,992 people total shot, 1,631 shot and wounded, 361 shot and killed. And almost all of those are black. Almost all black. Right, right. And uh, no T-shirts, no funerals, no hashtags, no nothing. They get nothing. And then I think that if if you go down to age... A few of them, more recently, were children. Yes. You're talking about all the way from month-olds to three-year-olds, six-year-olds, eight-year-olds who are getting murdered. I'm talking about just outside with They're their family. They're playing basketball. In the house, riding in the car, murdered. They didn't get a single funeral. They didn't, you know, they're not celebrating. Black Lives Matter, Inc., I'm going to call it like you call it, Black Lives Matter, Inc., raised, I don't know, $300 million? How much of that money was sent to these families to bury their children. Yes. How much of it? None. I heard, um, and, and I heard this is a rumor, unconfirmed, um, that the family of George Floyd didn't receive a single dime from Black Lives Matter. Not one dollar. And they've raised millions of dollars on the back of that man. Yes. And it's, mostly it's white terrible. liberals that are funding it. Right. Mostly white suburban liberals that have a messianic complex, like, oh, we can save the world because... Right. And I, 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 I speak out against this a lot, and obviously, you know, I, I want to be a country where we judge people on character and not skin color. Right. This whole racial division thing is so regressive. Yeah. It's so incredibly divisive and dangerous, honestly. You yeah. can't have a country this way. You can't. And so I speak out against these white individuals that say, well, I have a lot to atone for. Well, okay, if you're a bitter racist, then you should absolutely atone <laughs> right. for it, okay? And they say, well, I come from a legacy of slavery. I say, well, let me be very clear. Any slave in America deserves reparations. 100%. Go find one. Yeah. Okay? Any slave owner deserves to go to prison for the rest of their life and probably get the death penalty. I'm not a big fan of the death penalty, but whatever. Yeah. Oh, we don't have any? Okay. How about anyone who knew a slave owner? Right. Anyone? Is there anyone in America that knew a slave owner? No. The no. point is this. We are 155 years removed from slavery. 155 years. We are 70 years removed from Jim Crow. And let's get into this, Brandon. The black community is still struggling. Right. It's struggling tremendously, but not because of slavery that was abolished 155 years ago or for Jim Crow. Why is the black community still struggling? Policies. Yes. It's these leftist, lunatic policies. And then also a level of brainwashing that has gone on and a level of culture that has been created in some of these black communities that are so destructive and they're, they're, they go unchecked because Candace Owens came out and made a video about George Floyd, about a hundred million, a hundred million. And God views. bless her because I want to get into this later. You and her both have been courageous for this whole thing because we, we're just keeping it real. We're just telling the truth. That's and, it. And you have a backbone. Right. And you have stones and other things. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, you know, you know, when you when you look at when you look at the totality of of these incidents and, and you look at um, the way it's being projected, the, the uh, you know, when when the you talk about culture, yeah. 
it, it is it is creating such a deficit in the black community. The culture of not having a father at home, that's totally fine. The culture of going to the abortion mill whenever you feel like it. The culture of killing your brother and sister with no with no feelings, with no no involvement. When I was driving over here, I just decided to play a couple rap songs, right? Just to, some uh, famous rappers, the baby and some other guys. I, I I am disgusted by what I hear in that music. And and if people don't think that rap music is causing a degradation of a lot of inner cities and a lot of black communities and a lot of black brains, you, you, you must be fooling yourself. I'm glad you, you speak out against that. Whenever I comment on it, I get every reporter in the world saying I'm not allowed to talk about how rap music has you know a negative impact on the human psyche. And I, I actually, Brandon, I'll tell you, I think it's not just the black community. A lot of suburban kids listen to rap music no. too. I, I think that whether it's rap music or just music in general that glorifies, let's just say, a culture that is not optimal, right? Cheating on your spouse, murder, indecency, drug usage. I think that it contributes heavily to the moral decline of a country. I mean, and you look at art and music as a form of art, that's the way you communicate your values. Right. And so if you're communicating your values that are morally compromised, well, what kind of country do you expect to have? Right. And I think it goes a little deeper into the subconscious. You know, we talk about the surface level things, but the music is almost a gateway to subconsciously brainwashing you, right? And your what goes into your brain, you will become. It's a, it's a biblical thing. So when you're listening to, I hate people, I hate people, I want to murder people, I'm running up on people, selling drugs, uh, armed robbery. When you're just perpetually listening to that stuff every day, you are convincing your subconscious of a violent uh, reality. Now, if you live in the hood, then that is a actual fact to you, right? People are killing each other just like in the music. If you don't live in the hood and you live in suburbia and you're wealthy and you're listening to that music, your projection subconsciously of black people That's exactly right. is going to be degraded. That's a great point. You're going to see a man sagging his pants and you're going to associate that with the guy who's sagging his pants in the rap song. Mm. Well, the guy who's sagging his pants in the rap song is actually lying about what's going on. These are fake gangsters. And then, you know, the whole manipulation cycle continues. So it's not just bad for people who are dealing with it in inner cities. That's a really it's good terrible point. for people who are observing it, believing that it's real. And it creates stereotypes. You want to talk about stereotypes that are created, that, that's what it is. Right. And, and you have then white America that thinks that that's what black America you know, embodies. And it's not true. And, and Candace made this point the other day. I thought it was such a good point. She said there are millions and millions of black people that wake up early and go to work every single day. Yep. And they obey the law. And they actually are repulsed by this BLM Inc. narrative. Right. They want more police. They want their kids to go to a good school. They want to live a normal life. Yeah. They, they, they want to live in a country that treats them equally, that gives them a shot at being safe, that their kid's not going to get killed at the park by some right. you know, gangbanger. I think, that's most, I think that's almost all of black America. Well, majority. I think probably, I would argue 80%, 85%. Maybe I even go to 90% of black America is not involved in the foolery. And, I, and I'll say this. If you, most black people, and I grew up in the hood, most black people cannot wait to have an opportunity to make more money, to do better in life so they can move out of the hood. Mm. They do not want to be there. My father, when he started moving up the ranks, we moved to a better neighborhood, just progressively going to a better neighborhood, going to a better school. We were never going to stay there. That's not the goal is to stay in the inner city in the hood where it's failing, right? And your goal is to get out and to make some of yourself. And people will never be honest about this. This is why we, we can never come together 
um, as a country and tackle some of these issues is because of the disingenuous nature of a lot of people on both sides. And when I say both sides, I mean the white liberal and the yep, black liberal. That's right. They will not be honest about about the struggles in the, in the inner city and about how to fix some of those things. So let me ask you a question. You grew up in the hood. I've heard this experience from other people as well. Was there a almost a con- condemnation or a, let's just say, a negative stereotype if certain people in the black community started to, as they say, talk white? Have you oh, yeah. heard this before? Yeah, yeah. It, Can you talk not, about this? Yeah, it's not just my generation. My father told me that this happened to him. My dad was born in 65. So in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, when my dad was, you know, a youth, he would tell me, a perfect example, he told me he used to play football, right? And in the hood, they used to play what they call sideline kill, meaning that you pay tackle football in the middle of the street Are on concrete. Serious? No pads, no nothing. You tackle right in the middle of the street. Woo. And so my dad used to play that with all his friends. Everybody loved him. He was a good athlete. They loved him. One day, he'd come home. They have the report cards. Now, my dad believed in getting a good education. He, he worked his butt off. He had all A's, one B. He told me that everybody was talking about their grades, and he said, man, dang, I almost did it. And they're like, well, what's your grades, Bobby? And he said, uh, I got all A's and one B. And they're like, oh, you sell out. You're trying to be like the white man. They never picked him to play on their team again. And, and that's my dad's experience. My experience was the same way. And I'm going to be honest with, with the audience. Like, I was a part of bullying people when I was younger. That act like that. If you talk proper and you spoke proper English, you was articulate. Oh man, you're trying to be white. You you wasn't hood enough. You wasn't you wasn't black enough. And you would get bullied. You know, people talk about bullying. This was a real bullying strategy. And I, I know for a fact that it hurt a lot of uh, individuals who came from a family yes. that valued uh, speaking proper English language. So there there is a cultural pressure. It is on Black America in the urban community. And I hate that whole phrase, speaking white. I don't mean it that I think it's more cultural than that, where right. to try and get good grades or try to apply yourself. And so it's actually a lot of black-on-black pressure. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, we've been brainwashed to believe that black people are down here and white people are up here. That's in the black community. That's not, that's not, that's not even being taught wow. by anybody else but in the community. Because if you make good grades, you're trying to be white. Not that you're trying to be successful. You're trying to be white. You speak proper English, oh, you're trying to be like the white man. Not that you are trying to be successful because if you can articulate clearly in English, you're going to have more opportunities. You know, and if you, even if you had a name that was, I don't know, Tom or something, and you were a black kid named Tom, and then you have a kid named Demetrius or something. You know, Demetrius is more with the culture. Tom is getting criticized because, oh, you have a white name. You, you get what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Like when I was growing up, La Sherelle was one of my friends' name. One of my friends, her name was Christasha. Yeah. And so black people like to innovate when they create names. At this point, I don't think it's a great idea in some cases because people may judge you based on your name. But in the community, if you don't have a name that's unique and is black enough, you will be criticized. And I'm not saying this is all over the country. very interesting. I'm saying where I grew up and and different hoods that I know are are consistent around the country, these things happen. People don't want to be honest about it. Yeah, growing up, I went to a very diverse high school. A lot of the the black people, you know, Denarius, Lamont, you know. Cadillac. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's... These and, people got to stop, And I'm stop, not making man. light of it. I'm just saying that, I, But I get it. But, you know, people need to, need to pay attention to the name. Because in the, in the Bible, your name used to be used to mean something. Mm. And so people used to, yeah, that's to right. give you a meaning, and then that name is attached. Now they give you a name, and then I guess you create a, a, a meaning to it. 
So I, I think that we should get back to naming individuals based on uh, something that has a solid meaning. Like my son' name is Caden, means fighter warrior. I love that. His name is, is, is Eli- his middle name is Elijah, which is um, God is our savior. So mm. those things are what I projected when I had yeah. him. I want to have his name have power. So you've been very outspoken the last couple of weeks, and I've been amazed. And I don't want to say any names, but there are certain black conservatives that have all of a sudden decided to just parent the BLM Inc. narrative. Now, some of them have you know, kind of gone back from that in recent weeks as they realize they might have overstepped their bounds. But, Brandon, you've received a lot of incoming from people that I think you would once consider friends yeah. that are black conservatives that decided to all of a sudden just repeat left-wing talking points. Yeah, I would say 90% of black conservatives that I once would consider you know, going to lunch with say I knew them, uh, we would go to events together, have completely turned. And they've left people like me, Cannon Zoans, um, Face, Larry Elder, and some others out on the island as if we are the rejects of the black conservative movement and we don't speak for black people. And it's, it's crazy to me, man. It's crazy to me because I can speak for Candace and I because I'm really close to Candace as well. And it's all about awesome. facts and truth, not about your feelings. Your feelings can come second, right? Let's talk about the truth first, and then we can talk about your feelings later. And I have been consistent with the facts, telling the truth about George Floyd, telling the truth about these situations that have come up um, in a way that I feel is empowering and emboldening people to be knowledgeable and can make conscious decisions. I'm not here to to make you feel good about it because making you feel good about it can be deceptive, and then you end up saying, uh, Omar Arbery was just jogging, and he wasn't just jogging. Tell us about that. Amar Arbery wasn't just jogging. And people had come out with this narrative. Now, you know the media came out with the narrative, right? Because they needed to come out with this narrative because it was juicy. This is an election season. They need a black man to be gunned down by two racist white hillbillies in Georgia somewhere. They need that narrative. That wasn't the case. Amar Arbery was a crook. He was a criminal. He had perpetually been in that community doing things he shouldn't have done. He breaking into houses, doing all of the above. He ended up interacting with some people conducting a citizen's arrest. I'm not advocating who did what right, wrong, but he was in the wrong. He wasn't jogging. Now, black conservatives found it, not me and Candace and some other ones that are impartial, meaning that we love white people and black people the same. You love your country. We, were, we love our country. We are Americans first, and then you go down the list. But some of these other people, they feel like they're black first, and then they go, and then I'm American or whatever the case may mm. be. But we stuck with the truth, and they came out trying to bridge the gap between black conservatives and black, black liberals, which is, which is some of their um, main motives. They want to find something they can get behind together and say, look, we're on your side. We're not Coons and Uncle Toms anymore. And then they jumped on that bandwagon without doing research like they should and come to find out the man wasn't jogging, and they all look like idiots, some of which come back to the table and say, you know what, I was wrong. I'm not talking my stuff unless I do my research. Others are doubling down to the point of saying that Candace is in our counseled. Our careers are over. I mean, it's foolery. And so what I have found and what you just pinpointed there, Brandon, is very significant because I see this happen in a lot of conservative circles where we want to win favor from the left. That's not going to happen. And, And nor should it. Right. I don't think that's a desired objective. I mean, what, do you want to win favor with BLM Inc.'s website where they say they want to disrupt the nuclear family or they want to legalize sex work? I mean, there's not a lot of common ground I can find on the abolished prison movement. Right. And so if we're trying to win favor 
with an entire movement that diabolically wants to destroy our country. Right. I, I, I reject that wholeheartedly. And also, this is one thing that I've really liked about what Candace and you have done, is you guys have refused to indulge in the left-wing, let's just say, emotive cycle of propaganda. You've both acknowledged that the police officer in Minneapolis acted incorrectly, but you also painted a picture and said, let's put this in context of all police officers, of all you know, black deaths in the country. And so if you dare do that, then all of a sudden you are dismissed and rejected as saying, well, you don't really care about that specific incident. That's nonsense. Yeah, people are afraid of a rejection. Um, some people can go so far, and I think this is this is the key point here, is that I think s- some people are called by God to be leaders. And some people just don't have it in them. You know, when you are a leader and you are standing up for truth, you're going to be hated. You have to make up in your mind the day you stand foot and say on television or wherever that I'm going to stand up for the truth. You got to be you got to have in your mind that you're ready to fight, um, just like Jesus was. You know, Jesus was ready to fight telling the truth and they killed him for no reason. Um, mm-hmm. And the same thing is going to happen to us, whether it be physical or psychological or even a career killer. They're going to come after you and you have to be ready to, to stand the test of time. The problem is some people can only go 40 percent of the way and then they cower. Because when your mama turn their back on you, oh, now I, I got to turn. I got I to gotta bow down. When your best friend turn on you, mm-hmm. now they're bowing down. I only serve God. And I am trying to gain favor with God, not people. And while trying to gain favor with God, I do the right thing and God will elevate me. That's what people have to understand. You do favors for people, they will turn on you, i.e. Donald Trump. Everybody loved him. And then when he become the president, he is now the worst man on planet Earth, mm-hmm. which I think is disingenuous at best. So um, I think people have to grow a backbone or at least you know, do some workouts to strengthen their backbone yeah. and stand up for something. Well, and I think that conservatives in general – and look, it's not easy being a conservative. It's not being an outspoken conservative. And I decided as soon as this nonsense began we – t- we had a conversation of this on the Charlie Kirk show – because it was like, are we going to get into this issue of race? I was like, of course we are. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And I'll, just from you know the general conservative movement, it's been amazing, Brandon, how many white podcasters or people that are not in the black community are like, I don't want to touch these issues. I don't like it. Hold on a second. This is our country. Right. Like, we, we are on the right side of this. God, he, God made you in, the Im- in his image, image of God, imago Dei. E pluribus unum is our national motto. Okay, our national motto is not diversity is our strength. Okay, <laughs> like that. That let's have a conversation about that. Right. Okay, but if, if all of a sudden we've changed that without any sort of consensus, like I need to know that. Okay, right, right. <laughs> because we we have it on our presidential seal, e pluribus unum, yeah. that it's actually the unity, not the differences. It's a big difference, right? Like, hold on, e pluribus unum and diversity is our strength are two completely different, completely different statements, right? Because. E pluribus unum essentially means we have more in common than we have that divides us. Diversity, our strength is our differences is actually what makes us incredible. Like, wait a second. Our differences are actually, I think, are marginal, right. especially as human beings. And so we've spoken out trement a lot. And what I have really seen is that there are few people that are willing to stand up and really fight at this moment. And in some ways, that's really depressing. In some ways, now we know who the fighters are. Right, exactly. I mean, I think people got to get to the point where the, somebody calling you a racist don't phase you anymore. If you're a racist, then okay, feel bad all you want. But if you are not a racist 
and you have never been racist, and you love this country, and you love people, and you treat Amen. people according to the character that they display, not the color of their skin, then what do you care? People can call me ignorant all they want. They can say, oh, you're dumb. I don't care what you say. It, I'm not, I know mm-hmm. I'm not dumb. I'm very educated. So why do I care? I'm going to keep talking. You calling me an Uncle Tom, which, you know, he was the hero of the story. Just say you call me a coon or a sellout or a race trader or whatever, race hater. Say whatever you want. I know that that's not true. So I'm going to keep speaking the truth. Now, I think when people know that it's true, maybe they've been called on their stuff. Maybe they back away. But we, it, it is a time in our country that we need strong men to stand up. And mm-hmm. I, I'm going to speak for the men. I'm going to speak for the men. Ladies, you included as well, but I want to talk to men. It is time in our country for strong men to stand up. That's right. Especially strong white men. No, I agree. You know, it's easy for me to talk about BLM and all this well, other stuff. It's not because, easy because you, my goodness. Well, but. man, but listen, listen. If I talk about it, and I'm going to give you an example. I, I, was on, I had a radio show here in Phoenix Valley. I spoke about it every day. If a white radio show host would have said anything that I said, fired. He's a uh, racist. They be doxing his house. People be at his house protesting right now. So I have to say that I have a little bit of black privilege in saying some of the things that I say. But I am saying this because I want to encourage and speak on behalf of my white brothers and sisters who can't say these things or feel that they can't. Mm. I want them to be emboldened and say, you know what? BLM Inc. is doing wrong. This is wrong. Look at the website. Where are they sending the money? Where is the money going? Where's the money? It's not going to the families of black people that have been killed. Not, none. No police officers. No victims not in the street. Not for scholarships of kids no, to nothing. be able to break out of the hood. None of that. None. None. But, you know, it, and I, I completely agree. And for any white person out there, it's like, oh, I, I can't comment on the issues of race. Yes, you can if you're willing to be called a bad name. Right. And so for me, it was somewhat liberating. You know, I traveled the country with you and Candace, and they called me racist back then. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. Hold on. We hosted the Black Leadership Summit. It's yeah. one of the coolest things that we had an opportunity to do. Out of right? anybody in the country, that was the best thing that, that any group has done. Yeah, and we'd never get credit for it, and that's right. fine. But it was really fun. And, you know, you chaired it with Candace, and they still called me a racist. Yeah. And so this George Floyd thing happens. I'm like, what are you, you going to call me a racist yeah. in all caps? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm going to speak my mind, and I'm going to be very specific with my words because words really do matter, and I'm going to be very careful with how I talk about it. But I'm not going to be silent when I have something to say. And really what it comes down to is they are betting that white people in particular no. are going to sit down and stop talking. In right. fact, I was in an email uh, exchange with a black conservative who decided to go subscribe to the BLM Inc. narrative. It's this, mm. it's this group email, and I don't want to disclose what it is, but it's a group of individuals that are pretty successful. And he sent this nonsense about how we need total police reform, that we need reparations for black people. He's a conservative. And so I sent all this stuff, and he says, you as a white person need to shut up and stop talking. Racist. See, that's racist. I, I, said, I said, you are more of a racist than the KKK. And right. of course, that blew up, right? <laughs> and it's true, though, because yeah. like, you're now judging me on my skin yeah. color, man. Yeah, did you, that, that because you're white, you don't have a brain, right? Because you don't need to be black to look at the stats. They don't take color of your skin. Anybody, my, my nine-year-old can look at these stats and say, something is wrong here, Dad. You know, and, and so, but what they want to do, and the, these conservatives, some of these conservatives are falling for this, man. And they're weak. They're picking race over the country. They're black first, so, oh, I got to jump on a black bandwagon. No, 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 no. I am an American first. We are all the same. In my opinion, we're all God's Amen. children. They're, you and I are equal. That's the point. That's the beauty of this country. You should be able to say whatever you want to say just like I do. And if I agree with you, I have two choices. I can rebut you or I can just not listen to you. 
That's right. Why would I scream at you and, and be, argue with you and want you to be silent? It's, 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 it's stupidity. Let me, let, me, let me make this point real quick. It, it's funny that black conservatives or black people in general, I'm just, I'm just going to tell it like it is. They will tell a white person, you can't talk about these issues because you don't know what it's like to be black. At the same time, they'll say, you have white privilege. Well, how do you know the privileges of a white man when you ain't never been white? How do you know that? Mm. Just like a white man don't know what it's like to be black, you don't know what it's like to be white. Why can't we be consistent if you want to go down that path? Well, it's so funny. One t- I wish I had this video. I was on a college campus where one person says, you've never been judged by the color of your skin. I said, you just judged me. On the color <laughs> <of your skin." laughs> exactly. So you literally just did that. Exactly. And so I, I want to read something from this, uh, this very foolish individual, Taha Nahisi Coates, uh, on Juneteenth, which right. they're trying to create to be the new July 4th. Um, Which is ridiculous. I agree. Testified at a House hearing on H.R. uh, 40, a bill that would establish a commission to study reparations. Study. He said, uh, the question really is not whether we'll be tied to something in our past, but whether we are courageous enough to be tied to the whole of them. He says, we honor treaties that date back 200 years, despite no one being alive who signed those treaties. He calls the black experience in America a modern campaign of terror. So first, has your uh, life in America been a modern campaign of terror? No, No, I've had more privilege than probably most white people in this country. Everything that I've done, I mean, I've had, I've had opportunities that are greater than the average person, right? I play football. God gave me a talent to play football. Full scholarship, University full of Arizona. Sco- full scholarship. I did not have to pay for a single book at my university. None. I used to go to the bookstore and all the kids in there scrambling, getting the, getting the leftover books. I got all the new books. <laughs> Didn't pay for nothing. Had free counseling. We had free food. We were catered. What do we need? I had it all. When I was a police officer... One of 14 black police officers on a majority white and Hispanic police department. Two years on the police department, I was the spokesperson of the police department. With two years on, that has never occurred. I was on a SWAT team. I was a field training officer. I had commendations from everywhere. I was flown to events, um, uh, the black, it was like a black police association event. Flown and paid for by the police department. What more privilege do I need? I've been to the White House more than probably most white people. I mean, come on. Like, People are just lying. Mm. You know why I have what I have and, and I've been able to be blessed to have these opportunities? Because I'm free. When I believed and started focusing on how conservatism works and how I was a conservative, I started focusing on the country. I forgave the country. Now the sky's the limit for me. And you make good choices. I make good choices, man. And you man. take responsibility. Take responsibility. Make sure, you know, I make sure my credit good. Make sure I pay <laughs> stuff on time. I go to work. Before I was a police officer, I was working for $8 an hour. I hated every minute of that job. But I showed up every day, and I worked hard until I got another opportunity. You know, people got to learn how to be an American. Mm. In America, you can be whatever you want to be, no matter what color you are. I've seen immigrants come over here legally, some illegally, come over to this country with nothing in their pocket. But they had hard work, determination, and focus on doing what's right and living the American dream. And now they're they own empires. But people who are born here who got money in their pocket, they don't do nothing. Mm. And it's because they're lazy and they don't want nothing out of life but to blame the next man. But, uh, you know, I'll go on for hours about that. So he says it's a modern-day campaign of terror, which you've just wonderfully, I think, rebutted. And you show that as a black man, grew up in the hood, you now live a life of fulfillment, of meaning, of prosperity, and of freedom. And so... And I could point to many, many examples of that, right? Yeah. And, but it's because you applied yourself and you made, you made good choices, and also you were able to think outside the box. Imagine, Brandon, if you would have bought into the victim narrative, though. Right. What would your life look like? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd probably be in jail or I'd probably be taking a knee 
for the national anthem. Oh, we got to get into that too. And, and, and being and being a person who who just is rooted or just focusing on hate my whole life to my own demise. That's what I would be. When I see people who are stuck on that narrative, that's what they live like. Mm. They they don't have peace. They they don't they don't prosper. They may have money in the bank, but they're not happy. They because they hate the country that has given them and afforded them so much opportunity. Why? Just think about this for a minute. If you're a millionaire, and you know there's a lot of millionaire, billionaire black people who are still, I'm oppressed in America. Yeah, Oprah Winfrey. Uh, uh, it's just the, the society is killing me. Just LeBron imagine James. the 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 the, uh, the level of happiness you would fulfill when you look at the fact that I'm prosperous and I love my country. And because of this great country, I can be prosperous, more prosperous than any black person on planet Earth. Amen. Well, and if America was such a racist country, why is it that more Africans have legally immigrated to our country than came here as slaves? Exactly. Why is it that a Gallup poll surveyed 25 different African countries and it said, what country do you want to go to most? America was number one in every single one of those countries. Yeah, not surprised. Not at all. And so there's been two million individuals that have immigrated here from Africa legally since the 1970s from Africa. Mm -hmm. And they, if you count their children and their grandchildren, it's everywhere between six to seven million individuals. If you actually talk to those African immigrants, they are so they, they, they do not subscribe to this BLM thing, right. thing at all. Never heard of it. They say, well, actually, we got it pretty good. Like, if you want to see what bad is, go back to the Ivory Coast, okay? Or go back to Senegal. And I'm not trying to diminish those countries, but it's not even comparable standard of living. Yes, we just keep it real. When I go to campus, I went to I went to ASU, spoke to some students on campus. All of the Africans who came over here, some of which uh, have become citizens, but some of which are here for educational purposes. None of them ha- had any thought about racism or race. They never thought about it because in their country, there's no racism. There's no. They never think about it. But let me tell you what they told me. They said, well, I never believed in racism. I never experienced racism until the black Americans told me that white people were against me. The black Americans told me that I was oppressed beyond the brainwashing that has been infiltrated into black Americans. Not all, but some that is matriculating down to Africans who come over here that have a sense of of pride in being in America, have a sense of pride in themselves and not bowing down to the to the narrative of oppression so you, you can see right away that africans that come wow. over here they have the purest perspective about america than people who have been here just being drugged through the brainwashing so to kind of complete the question i take it you're against reparations <laughs> reparations is the stupidest thing i've ever heard in my life at this point now back then yeah please by all means we missed the opportunity who's going to give reparations to who what about my son he's biracial what like does, how are we gonna figure that out? Does he pay himself? Yeah, does he pay himself? And then does mama pay daddy? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> is, is his mama gonna pay me to pay him? Come it, it, and then how do you know that you were a descendant of slaves? Because not every single black person that are li- that are living here today are a direct descendant of slavery. Not every black person was a slave, even during slavery. That that there are black people who own slaves. Which side are you on? A, a, a good majority of white people migrated here after slavery. So a lot of white people are not even associated to slave owners. And then even in the slave industry, not a lot of white people own slaves. So you don't have a lot of people in this country don't even have direct connection to slavery. And explain to me this. How come after slavery was over, there was a period of time that black people excelled and they, they were they were married more so than white people. They were prospering. They were building. 
at, at, at a rate that was unbelievable. But what about uh, half a century after slavery? And then now, look at what ha- we were going downhill. How do we go downhill? How did they do so well? How did Black Wall Street get uh, erected in, in the early 1900s? Madam C.J. Walker was the first female millionaire out of any race in the early 1900s. How were we doing so good and building so much in the early 1900s? And all of a sudden in, in 2020, you know, the, the rudiments of slavery has, has bound us. It, it, look, nobody told you to smoke crack. Nobody told you sales crack. That has nothing to do with the white man. I don't care if they put it in your community. Somebody can go put stolen guns right here in the front of the studio. It's up to me to go pick that gun up and do something with it. There was a lot of black people that didn't sell drugs, and a lot of black people didn't use drugs. What's your excuse? Mm. You know, I, I don't know. I can go on about that. Well, and so you, you look at the idea of reparations is inherently racist. It is. And it, I, think it's, I think it lowers the expectations of black people, essentially giving black individuals an excuse right now and saying, oh, well, just wait for your check. Second of all, this, this is very perplexing to me. The, the left says it's racist to ask for voter ID, but you're mm-hmm. supposed to prove your ancestry back to the 1820s right, right. <laughs> or say 1642. Like, wait a second, let me get my paperwork together right. so I can prove that I'm a descendant of slaves, but I can't ask for a, an ID to go vote. Exactly. Something there doesn't make a lot of sense. Second of all, like, exactly, if you're biracial, how does that work? Do you, you pay yourself? And then the other question is, if they really want to have this question of ancestry, I've been so bothered by this, and I've talked about this on previous episodes of our show, is I went back, and my my family has been incredibly detailed with genealogy, right? So I went back seven seven generations ago, Will Crocken, on my father's mother's side, fought in the Civil War on the Union side. Mm. So why do I have to pay reparations? (laughs) My bloodline helped free the slaves. Exactly. And by the way, that doesn't make me a good person. That's the whole point. It doesn't make me a bad person or a good person because I'm actually a separate individual from someone seven generations ago. Right. And however, the left is trying to convince us that because you have a certain skin color, you have certain privilege, which goes to the question about white privilege. Is there white privilege? I don't believe it is. Now, let me me explain it like this because it got to be more detailed than that, right? Are there white people that have privilege in this country? Yes. Are there black people that have privilege? Yes. Are, if, you, if you're a good-looking man or woman, you have privilege. If you have money, green privilege is probably the, the biggest privilege. But there are privileges afforded to some people. But when you talk about it being a systemic thing, when you're talking about white privilege being afforded to every white person, you got to be nuts, man. I mean, when I was growing up, me and my brother, we had friends named Dustin and Derek. Dustin and Derek were poor. We weren't poor. They were extremely poor. And they were white. But they were white. And my mama, and, and we, we, didn't, we, know we didn't tell them right away, and they did it through mamas and mamas because they didn't even know their dad. I knew my, my dad was in my life. They didn't know their dad. Never seen that guy. They used to, we used to go to the house and they used to sleep on mattresses and no sheets. They were poor. And my mom used to give them our hand-me-down clothes. So all of the clothes we, we ran out of, she used to give it to Dustin and Derek. And they never knew. And we used to go over there and they'd be wearing our clothes, our old clothes. They didn't know. They just got new clothes. And so to think, and I, as a police officer too, I patrolled in the city of Tucson. I patrolled in the poor areas, in the trailer parks. The, people are poor. They, don't have, they have fatherless homes. They are uneducated, illiterate, um, using drugs. Not everybody in the trailer park, but you, I'm saying the poor areas a in the white community. A lot of white America is like that. Right. There's a, there's a, they don't have a chance. Some of these kids don't have a chance, man. I'll I, I never forget this call I went on. It was a six-year-old boy, or maybe he was seven, seven-year-old boy, Nobody knew he's missing. I'm driving down the street at about 4 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I see a little kid on the corner. And I'm like, 
that don't look right. There's a little kid, and it's dark outside. There's a little kid on a corner by himself. So I pull over, put him in the car. He was able to tell me where he lived. Obviously, I called it in and did all that stuff. I took him to, to the house where he was at. He's living with his grandparents because his parents are, I don't know, how on drugs somewhere. They're, they're like 80 years old. They're, they're, they can't handle him. And so what he does is when they go to sleep, he sneaks out and go play video games at his friend's house and then come back before they wake up. I, I almost wanted to cry because as a eight-year-old, what life does he have with elderly people who can't even play with him? Who can't get up and move around? They're asleep. They can't move. They can't play with him. He don't have a life. They were poor on top of that. So you, you want to tell me about white privilege? Give me a break. And so I completely agree. Go, let's go back to the example of the two individuals you grew up with, Dustin and Derek. Yep. They didn't have a father in their home, right? Never seen that guy. And you had a father in your life yeah. in some capacity and a mother. Yeah. And you were, you were giving clothes down to them. Right. You had two-parent privilege. I did. And they didn't. Yep. And that's really the, the crux of the issue, I believe, right. is the destruction of the family structure. It really is. 100%. And your story reinforces what the data actually shows, that a white child raised by a single parent is far less likely to succeed than a black child raised by a mother and father. Right. Right. How is it that black fatherlessness is now at 77%? How did that happen? Well, it's, it's a few things. It's a few things. I think it has become culturally acceptable in the latter part of, you know, this century. And also, I mean, the last decade. Also, the welfare state. If the welfare state created a situation where you don't need daddy at home, right? Because the government is your daddy. And also, you don't need God because the government is your God. So if you want to think about morally having a father in the home, which what black people used morally, not just through economic gain, but morally, that has been blown out of the water. And now you don't have to be responsible when you have sex with people and have children. You don't have to be responsible. And Planned Parenthood's are every Planned cool. plan Parenthood gives you an option. If you, you can do whatever you want. You're, free, you're a free bird. You can sleep around all day you want, men and women. And I think this is more damaging to men than it is to women, mm-hmm. but you can sleep around all you want. If you mess up, go have an abortion. If you mess up and you want the kid, keep the kid. You don't need his daddy. You can go down there and file for all kinds of rights and get all kind of money as a single mom. When back in the day it wasn't that case. It would be beneficial for both people to stand together. And I'll tell you this for the men. Let me tell you what Planned Parenthood do for men. It just destroys your responsibility. Mm. Because now you can sleep with a girl and say, look, I don't want to be with you. And then she, she goes down to Planned Parenthood because she has no other options, right? Or, I mean, in her mind. Or you, you know, you, you're in a relationship with a person and you say, you know what? I want to start a family somewhere else. I don't want to be with you. Go get food stamps because that kid will survive without me. This concept has just destroyed the family. And, and, and I think that if we can address those things and point those things out, which in some case I think is probably too late for many people, we can point those out. I think we can actually have a, a productive change. Yeah, and BLM Inc. on their website says they want to destroy and disrupt the nuclear family. Haven't they already done that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, they want to go from 77% to 90%? Yeah, they want to go to 100%. I think they would, they would love to be at 100%. So, so can, say that very clearly because there's a lot of people listening to this podcast. We get their emails at freedom at charliekirk.com where sometimes they're like, wait a second. Um, I, don't, I don't believe that BLM Inc. has bad intentions. They have terrible intentions. All you got to do is look at their website. 
Think about the, the, the ramifications of dismantling the nuclear family. Think of the ramifications. Everybody knows the stats. If you don't have a dad at home, you are tremendously more likely to commit crimes, to go to jail, to drop out of school, um, to just have a have a commit suicide. Uh, commit suicide. That's that's a big one that people don't talk about anymore. But you have a higher likelihood of not succeeding in life without a father at home. Now, let me tell you why. I mean, it's not just mom and dad or whatever the case may be. It's because there are certain instinctual things that you can only get from your father. And as a young yeah. man, how do you know how to become a man and be a leader and, and have the God-given um, example if you don't have a man around? See, when you don't have your father around, and, and not just any man, your father, because you know your father looks like you. You act like your father. There's a connection there. There's a genetic connection there that people are just acting like it, it doesn't matter. Your father is very important. Now, for the young women, not just the boys, how do you know what type of man you should marry? How do you know how men should treat you? you you're not going to get that if you just have your mom. You yes. need to have a strong father so you can have an example of the type of man that's a leader, provider, and all of the above. Not saying that you can't make more money than your husband, but I'm saying you need to see an example of that. That's, that's very important. Now, BLM's website talks about dismantling that. Why? Because they want destruction. They want control. I believe, personally, they're acting on behalf, almost like the KKK, they're acting on behalf of the Democratic movement. They're mm-hmm. acting on behalf of the leftist agenda. They're not acting on behalf of what's best for black people. Because if they were, they, would, they wouldn't even be talking about police brutality. They wouldn't even be talking about that. That'll be something on a back burner that they're cooking, you know, for 20 years from now. But right now, they will be focusing on the family. They'll be focusing on education. They will be focusing on uh, eliminating black-on-black violence and black hatred within the inner-city communities if they really cared. But they don't care. They wouldn't be protesting like they're doing. They wouldn't be calling out white people and, and unraveling everything that Martin Luther King stood for. Martin Luther King did not want privilege for black people. He wanted equality. Mm. Martin Luther King wanted to be judged by the content of the character. That means you have to have good character to, be, to make it in life, not the color of your skin. And BLM Inc., this BLM movement, in my personal opinion, is they want privileges for black people. They don't want justice. They want revenge. Mm. They don't want equality. They want, like I said, they want to be held above. And, and they hate white people. They are, they are conjuring up hatred towards white people. It's not just criticism. It's absolute hatred. And Nick Cannon, I don't know if you heard what Nick Cannon said. He ended up getting fired. Um, he said some anti-Semitic things. But, I mean, he, he was just completely bashing white people as if they're inferior beings. And it's, it's completely shameful. Yeah, and uh, Charlemagne the God says, this is right up here, uh, Nick Cannon firing proves Jews have the power. That's interesting. I'm not really sure what to make of that. But uh, that's I'm not a Charlemagne well, we, the God fan. We could talk about all the white people getting fired. Does that mean that black people had a power? Because a lot of white people got fired for, for, for just saying all lives matter. Yeah, from the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, Sacramento Kings. What, he, he was a um, radio host or whatever, or whatever, commentator. That's right. It's all lives matter. Fired. Lost his whole job. So this is Newsy today. A National Museum of African American History. I don't know if you saw this or not. Mm-hmm. The National Museum of African American History and Culture. I don't know if it's the official one in D.C., but it seems like it is. Has published a guide which asserts that hard work, the nuclear family, and Christianity itself are negative forms of whiteness that should be reconsidered because they are oppressive. Now, I think they get taxpayer dollars. So this is what they're teaching black people, though. 
and they're teaching white people that visit the museum, and it's in curriculum now, that hard work, nuclear family, and Christianity are forms of whiteness. You know what's funny is that all of those things you mentioned is how the slaves were freed. I'm just going to tell you, how did black people become free from slavery against the slave owner's rule, right, through the Underground Railroad and other forms of escaping? The Bible. See, the, the slave owner used to have church, and the slaves used to be underneath the church, but the slaves began to listen. The slaves began to teach themselves how to interpret the Bible, the stories of Moses. They used those Exodus, stories. yeah. They used those stories, and they, they sung those hymns, which led them to freedom. So God was the avenue of freedom for the slaves, and the slave owner never knew about it. Then when you talk about the family, the, the, the strength that black people had, even beyond slavery, even in slavery, their strength was the family. They could stick together, mom and dad, you know, raising the children, being strong, showing them leadership. Even after slavery, slavery was abolished, that concept pursued. Those things are hard work. How did black people ever get anywhere? Remember when black people didn't even have rights and they fought, they fought in our military? That's hard work. Working on the farms. And stuff that black people did way back in the day was hard work to build their reputation. Frederick Douglass, all of the black leaders, they had to work hard. And they didn't want any handouts. They just wanted equal treatment and respect. That's all they did. And they say these are forms of whiteness. It's similar to what you said previously about in the hood, they say, oh, that's what white people do, right? Yeah. It's the bigotry of low expectations. It is. So white people are better than you. I mean, that's what it's saying. If you are a, a solid person with good morals, then you can't be black. I mean, you can't be white. You have to be black. If you don't want the family, if you don't want to stay with... Your, it's the, actually incredibly racist. It, it is the... That is one of the most racist comments anybody can make. And it's is a museum. This is not just some right. activist. This is the National Museum of African American History and Culture. They also say they have to reject a science, uh, the scientific method. So, you know, <laughs> you talk about de- st- data and stats. This, yeah. is, this whole idea is very postmodern, right? It's postmodernism. Jacques Derrida started this whole idea that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Destroy everything around right. you. Everyone has your own truth. Yeah. My yeah. truth. So you mentioned something. You mentioned the church, and we talked about this Christianity. The church actually plays a very big role in black America still yes. to this day. Yes. Candace has said this before. You've said this before, that black people are actually more conservative than they realize. Yeah. Can you build that out? Yeah. I mean, just think about this for a minute. Most black people that I know, when I was growing up, everybody go to church. Even if you were a sinner, you were a devil. You know, you in you getting drunk on the weekends and having prostitutes or something. You go to church every Sunday. That's where it, that, that's when you grew up. That when was I, the when I was growing up, you go to church no matter what. Now, obviously, it was good people, and there are people that are bad. But you take your butt to church. You better wake up, wipe the the dust out of your eyes, get that stuff out. Put some chewing gum in your mouth. You go to church. In the black community, God was very important. Yeah. And, and that's what kind of kept the community together because we had a sense of family, not only in the house, but also in your church family. So and then working hard is a part of the black culture and, and, and it gets manipulated on television. It gets manipulated by BLM Inc. But and also some of these shows, I think, paint black America in a negative light. Love and hip hop and all these. Yeah. Shows. Yeah. Some of the more modern shows, some of the, more, you know, fa- family matters and stuff. It, I mean, some of those used to paint black people yes. in, a, in, a, in a very positive the Cosby light. Show before the Cosby show. Sanford Son. I mean, some of these others used to paint black people as hard workers, you know, loyal, loyal, have the family together, you know, moving on up. All all these all these different uh, concepts that were out there before was a real representation of the black community. Now it's just destructive. Um, So when I was growing up, 
we were conservative, but we believed that we were all Democrats, right? But when I got older, I started to look back, you know, when I started really ev- evaluating my political beliefs and, and, and my social beliefs, I say, wait a minute, everything my daddy taught me was the conservative agenda. My dad never taught me to reach for a handout. My father grew up in the projects. His daddy wasn't even around. My dad started the police department, I mean, the fire department when he was 19 years old. And he re- just retired after 35 plus years of working hard every day. My dad went to work every day. And he worked hard to the end. And, and, and there was some conflict when he first started the fire, de- fire department. And his philosophy was that he don't care nothing about racial tensions or none of that because these individuals who act out of character will be working for him one day. What do you know? They were working for him. He retired as the chief, the top man on the totem pole. So my dad taught me about hard work, taught me about not making excuses, taught me about going to church. We went to church. We were young. My dad should have us in there. We used to go to sleep in church. But we were in there. You know, we listen heard the, to the music. Listen to the music. We heard the, we heard the pastor hoop and holler. We didn't know what he was talking about. But we knew God, and we knew we needed to be in church. <laughs> and when you look at conservative principles today, that's exactly what conservatism is about. You think my daddy want to pay all them taxes? No, he don't. He never did. You think my dad wanted welfare? My dad didn't believe in that. He wouldn't have got a job, man. And so most black people are like that. But we have been brainwashed through rhetoric, through words like Black Lives Matter, like Planned Parenthood, Democrat. It's almost hypnotic, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, liberal. Like these terms, I believe, are... It really gets into your subconsciousness and it, and it makes you believe that these are genuine words that are focusing on what the word says, not necessarily what the actions are. And so I think the, the black community is more conservative than we give them credit for. Yeah, way more conservative. And I think they're looking for a renaissance of leadership in the conservative movement that will represent life and the family and the church. And for a variety of reasons is the left has such a monopoly on the black community and through people like Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson that have done such damage. I I think black America has a huge potential of waking up. And it's a very difficult, you know, political question. And the in the late 90s, the Democrat Party, they totally went to the decision. We are going to represent the super rich and the super poor. That's Mm. going to be our constituency, (laughs) right? right? We're going to represent the Silicon Valley elites and Wall Street, and also we are going to keep poor people poor so that they can keep us in power. Right. Right? And then we're going to have immigration policies that reflect that. The Republicans stumbled backwards, thanks to Donald Trump, into representing the middle class, the workers. Mm -hmm. And that's where black America used to be. Mm -hmm. Black America used to be the middle class of our country. In the 40s and 50s in particular, it was awful because of Jim Crow, but black America was actually doing better economically in the 50s mm-hmm. than black America did in the 70s. Yep. It's interesting how it's actually very important. So here's my question, Brandon, is that I hear a lot of prognostication and a lot of punditry and a lot of people saying, how's Trump going to do in the black community? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just first start with this. What is your opinion of Donald Trump? And then how, is Trump going to do better or surprise people in the black community? Well, I, I like Donald Trump. You know, I think Donald Trump has done a tremendous job at accomplishing the things he told us he wanted to do with all of this rejection. You know, what I mean, with investigation after investigation, he's a racist. He's done this. I mean, they, they, they literally want to kill the man every time uh, uh, he goes on stage and says anything. But I think he's done a tremendous job. Um, some of the highlights that I, I consistently talk about is uh, HBCUs, historically black mm-hmm. colleges and universities. He has done something there that no other president has done. Not More even funding Obama. than ever before. More funding, and he made funding consistent and permanent, right? 
um, the HBCU presidents used to always have to come back and beg. Can we get more money? Can we get a little more? Can we get consistency? And Donald Trump signed an executive order that gave them more money That's and consistency. Right. Um, you talk about prison reform. You know, obviously not every black person is in prison. Um, but this is the federal prison reform that no other president has done to this level. And it's the first step. So there's a progression that's going to be had under President Trump's administration to further the progression of allowing people who have been put in jail by Democratic policies, 94 crime bill, uh, three strikes rules and all of those things. By that Joe are, Biden and it, Bill Clinton. Joe Biden and Bill Clinton implemented by the Democrats. He has reversed some of those things and, get, and given people access to freedom, access to the reduction of residivacy. All of those things are done under in his administration. The the um, the. The zones where I, I, opportunity, zones. opportunity zones where they project that a hundred billion dollars of, of investments are going to go into That's these opportunity deal. zones. That's a huge deal. I mean, imagine being in some of these areas that you're getting hundreds of millions of dollars um, of innovation investments for, for jobs for capital even black people like they act like black people don't have money if you're black and you're going to make some contributing investments in some of these black areas you are going to get you know uh the availability to do so without mm-hmm. all the restrictions and regulations uh, that you would normally see so he's done that not only has he done that the economy cutting taxes and building an economy helps every american mm-hmm. including black americans there are so many entrepreneurs that have sprouted up under president trump unemployment was, was the lowest it's been in history for black people and when you talk about just those fundamental principles and we're not going to talk about being a strong leader we're not we're not going to talk about putting america first and all of those things killing more, terrorists yeah. killing terrorists more pride in america uh, we're not going to talk about those things but when you add all that together, I think President Trump has Trump has done a tremendous job, far better than what Sleepy Joe could ever do. Beijing Biden, right? Beijing Biden, far far better than what any of these Democrats have shown, and that they're even proposing to do. Black people don't want handouts; just need an opportunity. That's it, and, uh, you know. And and I think black people don't want taxes to be raised out of control because there are wealthy black people too. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Did they forget? Look at all these athletes and superstars that are out here talking stupid. There's a lot of black entrepreneurs. Um, black entrepreneurs that aren't athletes. I know, a, I know a lot of black people that got a lot of money. And they may not be super billionaires, but they, they're millionaires. They got money. They're doing really well. Why would they want taxes to be raised? They don't want that. They're, but they're doing more manipulation on putting yeah. Trump in a position of being racist than them having a So with argument. all the propaganda that's happening, I think the left, the reason they've played their cards so aggressively with the George Floyd situation, and recently with BLM Inc., more so than any propaganda that you and I have ever seen, right? I mean, it is corporate America. Google is funding $100 million to black-only voices, which I think is incredibly racist. Why not just good voices? Why not people that have skill? I I mean, anyway. I want want them to give me some of that money. Yeah, seriously. Well, (laughs) they can... They could subscribe to your YouTube channel that has a million subscribers. Now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if this, this might get reposted on your channel so they can hit this bell to subscribe, right? Oh, yeah. So, but here's my question, and I answer as honestly as you can because I hear all sorts of different opinions. How's Trump going to do in the black, with the black vote? I think that he will do surprisingly well. I, I think he would. Now, let me, let me say, before the pandemic and all this stuff and George Floyd and all that craziness. I think it was trending really well, I right? thought he was going to get upwards about – 25% of the vote, 30% of the vote. That's what I thought. I thought he was going to dominate because I know so many black people have yeah. woken up from 2016 to now because of people like Candace Owens and myself and things that we've done at Turning Point yes. uh, with the Young Black Real Leadership movement, Summit. right? Real stuff, tangible stuff that people can get behind and, and be influenced by and, and be able to be free from, right, or be free because of. Um, so I thought he was going to do about, 90, about 30% increase um, from 8% in 2016. 
not not very far fetched. You know, some of the polls have shown that he's done tremendously well. After the pandemic and this just influx of foolery and craziness, I think that it may go down to about fifteen percent. Still going to be, I think it's still going to be surprising, and it's still going to be higher than in twenty sixteen. And I think Brandon, the reason why they've done this is because they saw movement in the black community for Trump. Oh yeah, I think that a lot of this was because BLM Inc. and a lot of the merchants of chaos and a lot of the architects of disunity and disorder, they said, we can't allow this to happen. Right. I really believe it. That's why they went all in the way they did on the mass propaganda. Because they knew Donald Trump was making serious inroads in the black community. And what does the dem- – what, what – I just – I'm frustrated because the, the, the black community has been so abused by the Democrat Party. Right. I mean, Chicago has not had a Republican mayor since 1931. Democrats own that, okay? Yeah. So has black America done better or worse since 1931 in Chicago? Worse, despite civil rights being passed by a Republican Congress, and it was signed by a Democrat president reluctantly, despite desegregation happening, why would black America be doing worse? Because of Democrat leadership. The policies, man. The policies are putting people – the policies are more focused on power than the people. And I think people may not understand that. They create chaos and confusion in your community so they can say every election cycle, we're going to fix it. We're going to fix it. We're going to fix it. I mean, y'all been in office for 30-some years, and y'all have done nothing. I don't even understand how people are, are even thinking about voting for somebody like Joe Biden as the president or any one of these Democrats in the area. I mean, come on, man. In New York, uh, the, the, the crime rate is up like 200 300%. And then the murder rate is up a tremendous amount. These are Democrats running these cities, man. And when you talk about defunding the police and all of that other crazy stuff, it's mostly Democrats who are running with that, man. And, and, and in the inner city and, and somebody it's white liberals. I don't see people in the hood no. that are like, take away our police. No, not the real people. You know, you got the protesters that run around in the hood and they pay bust in. <laughs> no, I'm talking about like real people. I'm talking about someone who's waking up at 5 a.m. They're getting on a bus and they're going to work. Right. And they got three kids to worry about. You think they're the ones that are saying defund the police? Well, 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 well wait a minute. When you see your kid get shot in the head by drive-by shooting in your community, and you see kids getting shot. It's been nine in the last three weeks. And we have some of the names more. here. Yeah. And, and you, you, you want the police to show up, right? I mean, name me a kid that was shot in the head in one of these stupid drive-by shooting gang-related things that is saying, no, we don't want to call the police. We're going to let John John down the street come in, uh, and take care of our baby. No, they're calling the police to come for help. They need the police in some of these cities. Sicoria Turner, eight-year-old Sicoria, girl. Let's talk about Sicoria yeah. real quick. Because my channel did a tremendous work for Sicoria. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to get emotional because when Sicoria was killed in Atlanta, they, her mom and them got off the freeway. They ended up getting met by a barrier that was a false barrier that was put up by BLM protesters. They didn't know where to go. They go to turn around and a shootout occurs, kills her baby, kills Sicaria In the crossfire. In the crossfire. Died in her mama's arms. Now, they did a GoFundMe. We communicated with the family. They did a GoFundMe to start the GoFundMe. We wanted to support them. I, I, I assumed that they were going to do very well. We were going to donate, I don't know, $500 or so and, and, and help them out. They had like $4,000. That's all they had at first. And we shared it on our social media. Four, about $4,000 is all they had. No Black Lives Matter. No real contributions. They had nothing. She didn't even have enough money to bury her child. And you got to think, she lost her car too because they shot her car up. She didn't have a transportation. She just her kid just died. She has other children. Nobody gave anything. I decided I'm going to make a video on my YouTube and I'm going to tell people the story and I'm going to say go donate, go help her. In two days, 
a two and a half days, maybe three days, we raised three hundred thousand dollars for her family. She wow. only had a hundred thousand dollars on the thing. We raised three hundred thousand. It could be up now. I haven't checked in the last couple of days, but these racist Trump supporters, these these sellout Uncle Toms, are the one that provided all that all that money for her family. And so near the burned out Wendy's, right? Because that's where the barrier was created. Did did they ever arrest the individual who murdered her? I believe that they I believe that they found two suspects. Good. They were in a they were in an exchange of gunfire. And she wasn't the only one that died, mind you. There was other people that died. She just so happened to be, you know, An she's a little kid. She's a little kid. Eight years old. Eight years old. I have a nine year old. I could not imagine what it feel like yeah, to lose BLM your child. BLM Inc. Yeah. Doesn't mention any of this. Nothing. And by the way, I, I subscribe to BLM's email list. Yeah. And I get their email every day asking me for money. Wow. That, that's all they do. Wow. And every time they send me an email asking me for money, it's white people are on the loose to go kill black people. We got to defund the police and all this. I've never heard Roy to Giles Jr.'s name. No. Eight-year-old boy murdered in Birmingham Mall while with his parents at the food court. So he's at a Birmingham Mall, and all of a sudden a shooting comes out. Three other innocent people, including another child, were wounded in the shooting. Jace Young, six-year-old boy, was watching fireworks on July 4th oh, yeah. with his family when he was gunned down. An unarmed six-year-old boy is dead following a shooting in Northeast Philadelphia. We're still getting their name. So we track all this because yeah. no one else does. Yeah, they're not going to The do media that. doesn't list any of this. No. Natalia Wallace, I don't yeah. know if you heard about this one, seven-year-old Chicago girl was shot and killed on July 4th while yeah. playing in her backyard. Yeah, they were at a barbecue. Last Friday, New York City police arrested a 35-year-old man for allegedly slashing uh, a two-year-old boy yeah. in the face while he's sitting in a stroller last week in Manhattan. And last Saturday, Devon McNeil, 11, was visiting family in southwest Washington, D.C., and he's killed in a drive-by shooting. Drive-by shooting. Senseless murders. So all this, Sicoria, Royda, Jace, unarmed boy, Natalia, and Devon. That's six, six or seven. I'm not counting the one that was slashed in the face. And also one-year-old Duval Gardner Jr., uh, killed in his stroller in Brooklyn this past weekend. That's seven. Yeah. Those are seven unarmed children. Children. Not by police. Right. Who killed these people? Right, it's other black people. Well, it doesn't matter the skin color; it's just criminals, right? I mean, these are murderers. Yeah, I mean, but but I think I think skin color is important. I think skin color is important because the narrative is that white people are killing us. Yeah. No, no, no matter no, no I matter think, if I think black. you're exactly right. I so, get what you're saying, but but you're right in the sense that it wasn't MAGA hat wearing Trump people that were coming into the inner right. cities killing these black people. Right. These children. We just named seven children. I mean, every life matters. But there's something if you're under the age of 14, if you're getting gunned down. And BLM Inc. is silent. And Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Pressley and Rashida Tlaib and Elon Omar and Cory Booker and Kamala Harris and Joe Biden don't dare mention these people's names. Won't even talk about it. This is an outrage, Brandon. It is. And yet I have to be called a racist for the color of my skin. That's, yeah. that, that's basically where we're at. Is right. Charlie Kirk must be this because he's a white person. <laughs> like, I'm sorry? Like, that, that's where we're at? Yeah. These people are crazy, man. Is these, it racism that's killing these kids? No. It's, it's, it's these policies in the, in the inner city by Democrats, uh, black hate, gang violence. These are the things that are killing our children. you got to think, who knows what these young people w- would have become? Maybe the next president. Maybe they would have become a lawyer, a doctor. And they, they survived the Planned Parenthood Clinic. Right. So they made it past that point, but they couldn't survive the hood. That's the, that's the progression. If you can make it past, you know, the Planned Parenthood, can you make it out the hood alive? Wow. 
And if you can make it out alive, you know, the, the sky's the limit for you. So, Brandon, you made it out of both of those. I made it out of both of them. My so there are 438,000 black abortions a year. Think it's crazy. about that. 438,000, Brandon. It's crazy. I mean, I don't even know people doing it like that, man. 438,000. So there's a million abortions a year, and 43% of all abortions are black Americans. And we make up 13% of the population. No, no, no. Let's just say the women, too. No, th- so six, and then yeah, half of that is six. infant-bearing age. Right. 3%. Yeah. So 3% of the U.S. population, 3%. 40, 43%, 43.8% of all abortions. It's as high as 48% in certain cities. In New York City, the abortion rate is higher than the pregnancy rate, the, right. the birth rate. Birth so rate. if you see, if you go on a subway in New York City or you go on a bus or you just see someone walking down the street that happens to be a pregnant black woman, it is more likely she's walking to Planned Parenthood than the delivery room. That's sad. And so here's some of the numbers. In 2018, there were 7,407 black homicide victims, unarmed Black victims of police shootings represent approximately 0.1% of all blacks killed in 2019, according to the Wall Street Journal. Blacks die of homicide at eight times the rates of non-Hispanic whites overwhelmingly killed, not by cops, not by whites, but by other blacks, according to the CDC. True. And every black person knows this. Every black person knows this. I don't know why people are being disingenuous. When I was growing up, I wasn't afraid of the cops. Right? I was afraid of my dad, you know what I'm saying? Because I got arrested when I was eight years old for for smoking marijuana in a vacant house, Uh, me and a few of my cousins. And uh, the police showed up, whatever. I wasn't afraid of them. I was afraid of Mr. Bobby Tatum because they couldn't do nothing to me. My dad, I thought he was going to beat me to death. I, I really did. I thought that was going to be the end of me. Thank God he didn't. But um, you're growing up in the hood. You're not afraid of police. You're not afraid of white people. I, the Klan? The Ku Klux Klan? White, white supremacy? I, what? I, what? What is that? I never heard of that. You know, you see people talk about it, but that's not a reality in the hood. You're worried about somebody who mistake you for a gang member. Are you walking on the wrong street at the wrong time or are you getting robbed by somebody or somebody doing a drive by and shooting you in the head, you know, on accident? I mean, you, you, I just don't understand why people are so disingenuous. We could change this country. We could fix these things. We could all get behind police reform that is necessary. We can all get behind a building all of our communities up. But people are hell bent on being disingenuous. They will not be honest about what's really hurting the black community. And it ain't the police and it ain't white folks. It's other black people. And, and until we address the hatred in our own communities, until we address um, these political decisions that we're making, voting for Democrats 99 to 100% of the time, instead of voting on our best interests, it's, it's just talk, man. It's just chatter. Mm. We're going to be talking about this for another 300 years. So... Uh, for people that are listening to our podcast, how can they learn more about you and support what you're doing? TheOfficerTatum.com. TheOfficerTatum.com. TheOfficerTatum.com is my website. Everything is on that website. Uh, or they can just Google Brandon Tatum. You'll find all the stuff you want to find about me. Subscribe to your YouTube channel. And for those of you watching the YouTube video, that's a Charlie Kirk. Dot com t-shirt police officers matter you guys can i know get it. man you got it before i got it i wish i'd have had this on mine so. <laughs> yeah. we, we, you could promote it all you want so charliekirk.com yeah. any closing thoughts brandon no i just i just want uh the country to unite i want us to find common ground mm-hmm. where do we uh have things in common and how can we work together whether it be the community or the police department i also want us to stand up and be strong it's time for strong men to stand up and have a backbone Stand up for what you believe. Be passionate. Be confident. And lastly, we need to stick and stand by each other. When these crazy lunatics begin to attack us, but attack you, Charlie, and attack others, we need to rally behind one mm-hmm. another. 
You know, when they want to counsel you and say, oh, you can't, you know, you're fired from your job. Let's go buy up, you know, all this, all the things that are associated. Like, uh, what, what is the company called, the Mexican-owned company? Goya. Goya. Like, oh, I bought Goya beans yesterday. Right. Me and the wife, we're going to go. We, we, we I, plan I, on buying a whole bunch of Goya stuff. Whether they were good or not is irrelevant. I still bought right, a lot of right, them. Right, right. That's what, we, that's what I want to see us yes. do. When they try to attack conservatives and they try to tear us down and claim people are racist just for supporting the president, we need to stand up. We need to stand behind yes. uh, those individuals. And that's pretty, that's pretty much it. If we follow those principles, I think we'll be a better country. And I think the people are with us. Well, Brandon, you've been incredible. And a lot of our audience are looking for answers to these questions. And, and you've been terrific on that. And just don't stop. Keep speaking out. Because especially in this election year, they are going to try to make race the dominant issue. I wish it wasn't the case. Right. I wish families and morality and jobs and manufacturing, I wish all that was the top issue. And isn't it incredible how they have all these congressional hearings on reparations and police shootings? Where's the congressional hearing on black fatherlessness? Right. That is the root cause. It is. At minimum. One of the root causes. Yeah. It's probably the, ma- the major root cause because it's, it's residual effects that people are not accounting for. They, they just think, oh, father in the home, whatever, one-to-one number. They don't understand the effect of that that's matriculated down all of my and the friends police system right. and the school system even the way you think about police even though, even your career path comes down to did you have a strong father to guide you in in the proper direction yes. that'll make you successful give you the confidence you need to be a man to be a leader to to lead a family all of those things are incredibly important 75 percent of adolescents adolescents in prison in the illinois state bureau of prisons grew up without a father of the rapists in Illinois grew up without a father. Wow. We'll go through the statistics. It's incredible. If you just look at what the composition of our prisons are, and a lot of it is because you're right, they don't have a strong father figure or strong male figure. They're first dealing with masculine authority is the police or the gangbanger on the side of the street who's 11 years old and counsels them like a father and has them do a crime on their behalf, and eventually they will get caught by the time they're 15, 16, or 17. Right. So, well, Brandon, you're a good American. Thanks for joining uh, us, man. Appreciate you, Charlie. TheOfficerTatum.com. TheOfficerTatum.com. You can get everything you want to know about B. Tatum. Buy some, st- buy some stuff. Support Brandon. He's one of the few courageous voices we got. So God bless you, Brandon. God bless you too, Charlie. Wow, what a great conversation that was with Brandon Tatum. Please email me your pieces of feedback at freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. Get involved with Turning Point USA. It's tpusa.com tpusa.com email us again freedom at charliekirk.com type in the charlie kirk show your podcast provider hit subscribe five star reviews thanks so much for listening everybody god bless we begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way so pick up your mccafe iced coffees close your eyes And deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. (sighs) Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.